Good morning, everybody. It is wonderful to have the opportunity to worship with you today. As many of you know, we've been counting down now for weeks and really for months. Uh, this upcoming week is a really, really important week for us here at First Church, and that is because we are going to be experiencing together our Transform Mission Week, where we seek to serve the people of Williamsport to the best of our ability uh, through various mission projects. So hopefully a lot of you are going to be involved with that, but even if you're not, could I ask you today to please be praying for them and for all the work that's going to happen, and especially for people to feel the love of Christ in very tangible ways as we seek to serve the people of Williamsport. We would be so grateful for your involvement in that way. And again, thanks to all of you for all the ways you've already supported to get us ready for this upcoming week. Uh, hopefully people are going to encounter the love of Christ in powerful ways, and that's really what we've been exploring throughout this summer, is different people encountering Christ in different ways to experience his love in powerful ways. And we're going to pray today that we also get to encounter the love of Christ in a powerful way in Scripture and in God's Word together. So as we get ready to do that, would you join with me in a word of prayer? Almighty God, this day may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, shaking us to new life in you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. The very first thing I want to ask us to do today is to dive into God's Word. And we're going to be sharing from John chapter 1, verses 29 through 34, and we hear these words. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to, to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, The man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. As we begin to reflect on those words together today, here's the first question and thing I want to invite you to think about. And I'm going to say to you, do not answer this out loud uh, because it could be a little bit dangerous, especially depending on who you are with right now. So you can just think about it. But here's my question for you. Do you have anybody in your family who's rather strange uh, or perhaps a little or a lot odd? Uh, you know, somebody who's just a little different than the rest of the family, maybe a cousin who's just a little bit off, or maybe a great aunt who, again, is just kind of odd or out there. Uh, maybe an uncle who's just, we'll call him unique. <laughs> and if you can't think of anybody in your family who fits that particular category, it might be you. Most of us have those kinds of people somewhere in our family, and I want to be clear, there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, I would say our families need those individuals because variety is good. Odd or unique can be very good, even wonderful. But odd is still odd. I bring this up because I've always pictured John the Baptist a little bit this way, a little or a lot odd. And today we hear this encounter between Jesus and John the Baptist, and in this particular encounter, at least on the surface, I don't think we can qualify it as we've just heard it as overly odd. 
Although it's not every day one sees Jesus walking straight towards them with the Spirit of God coming down upon them, that could qualify as a little bit odd. But part of the reason that I think John the Baptist is odd is because actually what we hear in other places in the gospel about John the Baptist. We know that John and Jesus are related. They're cousins. Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Elizabeth, the mother of John, were relatives, according to Luke chapter 1, verse 36. And talk about odd. Some of the physical description that we are given of John the Baptist includes that he wore clothes made of camel's hair, that he wore a leather belt around his waist, and that he ate locusts and wild honey. So let that picture sink in for just a moment. And I think you could agree with me, that's a rather odd-looking picture to start to think about in relation to John. Now, I know this is not totally accurate, but the image this all conjures up for me is that of a particular cartoon that I had seen when I was a kid, and his name was Captain Caveman. And again, for you kids out there, you may not remember Captain Caveman. This was from a long time ago. But this is some of the image that I get in my mind when I think about John and the descriptions in the gospel given of John. And again, not totally accurate, but I wonder, it may not be too far off. Can you just picture John covered in camel's hair and eating locust legs? Uh, can you just picture saying to John, excuse me, John, uh, you've got a hind leg of a locust hanging out of your mouth as you're talking. <laughs> it's, it's odd. And then there's this message that John the Baptist gives. So it's not just his physical appearance that's odd, but there's something about his message. Usually we hear of John the Baptist as we're getting ready for Christmas each year in the season of Advent, because the purpose of John is to deliver a message of preparation for Jesus. He's to be getting people ready for Jesus. But what's the message he's delivering? Among other things, John declares to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, you brood of vipers, produce fruit in keeping with repentance or else. Produce good fruit or else hell awaits you, according to Matthew 3, verses 7 to 10. See, it's odd and strong on the part of John. John was the precursor to Jesus. John came before Jesus to get everybody else ready for Jesus. And, and the way that John did this is he offers this strange, even odd message of repentance, warning people, you better produce good fruit in your life or else. I'm just curious, does anybody, as we're engaged in this time of worship together, do you happen to know any of the artists Paramore or Girl in Red? or Owen, or Gail? And if you do know them, do you know what they all have in common? Now, if you knew any of those names of those music groups, you are better than me. What they all have in common, though, is that they are currently part of the opening act for Taylor Swift in her current tour. And their job is to get the crowd ready and warmed up for the main event of Taylor Swift. John the Baptist, in some ways, is like the opening act for Jesus. He is setting the stage for Jesus to come. He's getting the crowds ready for the arrival of Christ, which is really interesting when you stop and think about it. Why would God use this odd individual to get people ready for Jesus with this odd appearance 
and this odd message. I mean, why are people even going to listen to him? As far as the Gospels are concerned, they demand that we not hear Jesus until we first heard John. The only way to get ready for Jesus in the Gospels is to first go through his odd relative, John, which again demands the question, why? When it comes to preaching, the tempting thing for a pastor to do is to preach how Jesus can be useful to others. You know, how Jesus can make their lives better or give them more energy or give them more peace. And make no mistake, Jesus can and does do those things. But then this odd John the Baptist comes today preaching and he blows those sentiments right out of the water. Because what John preaches is an odd message. In the message version of John chapter 1, verses 23 and 30 and 31, it says this, I'm thunder in the desert. Make the road straight for God. My task has been to get you ready to recognize Jesus as the God revealer. That is why I came here baptizing with water, giving you a good bath and scrubbing sins from your life so you can get a fresh start with God. In other words, get yourself cleaned up. Messiah is coming. Jeez, <laughs> why would anybody sit for that kind of a message? And yet, as a former professor of mine used to say, all of the Gospels begin the story of Jesus by first telling the story of John. It's almost like they're saying, you can't hear Jesus unless you first hear John. It's true and it's odd. The Gospel of Mark even goes so far as to call John the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, which is to say the beginning of the good news. And then Jesus even goes so far as to proclaim, there's never been anyone born of a woman who was greater than John the Baptist, according to Luke chapter 7, which again begs the question, why? What is so great about John? I think all of these questions come to a head in this encounter that we hear this morning with John the Baptist here in John chapter 1. I think in this encounter, we see both what made John so great and why his message of repentance is such good news. Listen with me again, John 1 verses 29 to 31. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason that I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Now, here's the part I want to ask us to zero in on. Every week in these encounters, we've been zeroing in on a different piece of the encounter. Today, I want to invite us to look specifically at verse 30, when John says, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. And then the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. What's the big deal in these verses? I think in this passage, in this particular encounter, we hear John being absolutely captivated by Jesus. The very one John has been preaching about, the one that John himself has been preparing for, the one John has been laying the groundwork for, the one that John is trying to get everybody else ready for, suddenly is right there before John. John can see him. John lays eyes on the one that he himself has been preparing for and getting everyone else ready for. And I imagine when he finally lays eyes on Jesus, it takes his breath away. 
Maybe there are even tears in his eyes as he beholds the one that he's been doing so much work to get ready for. What does John see in Jesus? He sees the reason he came baptizing with water in order that Jesus might be revealed to the world. And it's absolutely beautiful. For John in this encounter, the encounter is all about Jesus, not John. The key to everything for John is that it was never about John. It was always about Jesus. And what we discover is that we encounter Jesus in powerful ways when we make it about Jesus and not ourselves. In this counter between John and Jesus, John recognizes the surpassing greatness of Jesus and claims that John's goal, John's desire, John's purpose is to reveal Jesus to Israel and the entire wider world. Thus, John's whole ministry was in the light of Jesus. John's whole purpose and mission was in the light of Jesus. John's work was in the light of Jesus. John's life purpose was in the light of Jesus. And that makes all the difference because John lived and died for Jesus, not himself. What a powerful and prophetic word and example John offers to us. It's powerful because it involves encountering the living Lord up close and personal in a meaningful way. It's prophetic because we live in a time when it's just so easy to make it all about us, about our wants, our desires, our comforts, even when we don't mean to do it that way. In so many ways, this self-focus has always been humanity's problem. Think back early on in Scripture. Think back to the book of Genesis in the Garden of Eden. The problems arose when Adam and Eve decided to make it about their desires and their wants over God's. Think about when the people of Israel had been set free also in the Old Testament. It was out in the desert that they ran into problems when they turned their focus away from God and to what they wanted rather than what God commanded them to do. When the great kings of Israel came along also in the Old Testament with Saul and David and Solomon, it's when their hearts turned away from God towards what they desired that the problems arose. Over and over, we see this tendency to make our lives and our ministry about us and not God. But not John, not odd, eccentric John. Despite a successful ministry of preaching, despite drawing large crowds to himself, when John so easily could have made it about him and his success, John never made it about him. It was always about Jesus. So when John sees Jesus approaching today in John chapter 1, John recognizes the whole reason for his being, and that makes all the difference. Notice that when John preached, he did not preach light exhortations or platitudes. No, <laughs> he's hurling preaching grenades. He shouted and he raved. He was no respecter of social class. And whether folks are wearing their Sunday best, best or dressed in rags, he told them to rip off those coats and give them to the poor. No matter what heavyweight showed up in front of John, he was not intimidated. He told them everybody was just chaff being blown in the wind. How could he do this and not be intimidated by whoever was standing before him? Because for John, it was never about John. It was always about Jesus. And so when John preached, he preached with power. 
He would preach in such a way that people's hearts would be pricked and they would ask, what now should we do? And they would repent and they would give their lives to Jesus and they would take no more than was due to them and they would give away what they had in a generous manner and they would turn away from wrongdoing towards God. They would strip down and jump in the Jordan and be baptized. Why? Because it was never about following John. It's always about following Jesus and that's where the power and that's where the significance came from. Why did people keep coming out to the desert to hear John? How could repentance sound like good news? Because the message was never about John. It was always about Jesus. Part of the message from John about Jesus is this message of repentance. And the interesting thing about repentance is that it only sounds bad when it's only focused on us. What we have to give up, what we have to turn away from, what makes us uncomfortable, what we are losing. However, when repentance is pursued through the person of Jesus, it becomes good news. Good news because it's bringing closer, us closer to Jesus, the one who loves us, the one who wants to know us in every way. Closer to love, closer to life, closer to everything good in this world and removing us from that which destroys us. And so in that way, repentance is always good news. I don't know why, but there's a truth in general, not always, but in general that I've noticed. I think this is pretty accurate. People like to complain about things as they are, but rarely are they willing to take the steps to change those bad things, or at least the things they're complaining about. So we complain about things such as our weight or our health, but most of us aren't willing to make changes to become healthier. We complain about somebody else's leadership, but rarely are we willing to step into leadership to make the change happen ourselves. There are many things about ourselves we wanna change, but we often feel too overwhelmed to actually engage in making a change. Today, John is ultimately preaching about change, which is both a message everybody wants to hear and a message no one wants to hear. But what John preached was, through Jesus, you can change. And notice that first part, it's the through Jesus part. That's what repentance means at its heart, change. Hearts far from God can come near to God in all ways. Hearts focused only on themselves can change to become hearts focused on God. Change, repentance, it's good news. Herod, the government official at the time in John's life, hated John and had him killed because Herod didn't wanna hear about change. Herod preferred to keep things the way they were because he was already in charge. He had the power. And those in power, those who are comfortable, those who like to call the shots, those folks don't often take kindly to change. And we just said change is hard. I mean, we know that. It's easier to complain than to change. It's easier to blame others than to change. It's easier to make excuses than to change because change is hard. We might know that we need a new job, but the unknown of the nuances of the new job scare us so we don't change. We might know we need to make a hard decision in regards to a loved one or have a hard conversation about something going on in our life, but the unknown of how that loved one will respond keeps us from changing or engaging. We might know we need to move 
but not knowing what life will be like in the new place intimidates us. And so we don't change. We don't initiate. Again, we know there's something unhealthy in our lives, but the comfort of what we already know creates an inertia that prevents us from changing. Change is hard. What is something in your life right now that you know needs to change, but for one reason or another, you just haven't done it yet or you haven't been able to see that change? What might that be? Remember, multitudes came out to hear John preach his message of change through repentance. Why would they do that, especially when change is hard? Here's what I think. I think that the message of John The good news in his message of repentance was this. In Jesus, you can change. It can be done. As hard as it may be, there's always something within us that wants to hear John's message of repentance because deep down, we know something's not right. Something could be better. Something is broken that we don't want to have to keep dealing with. We know deep down in that sin and brokenness exists in our world. We know that something in our world as a whole is out of kilter. We know that that brokenness exists. And so John has this boldness and this willingness to tell us the truth. Quit making it all about you. Change, repent, and make it about Jesus. Something deep within us resonates with that word from John. Because we know that in Christ, we can change, and in Christ, we want to change. The message of repentance and of change, of make it all about Jesus and not ourselves, this is the message John uses to get people ready to encounter Jesus as the living Lord. This is the message John uses to warm people up and get them ready for the coming Christ. And what a powerful introduction it is. Many years ago at a South Carolina Realtors convention, a real estate salesman named, uh, or introduced, I should say, Dr. Norman Vincent Peale as the primary speaker. And some of you might know or remember the name uh, Dr. Norman Vincent Peale. He was a pastor and he became the primary proponent of the power of positive thinking movement. At the convention, the real estate salesman introducing him used this introduction when he said, This has been real estate's worst year. I know you well enough to know you're trying to put a happy face on your pain. Your pasted on smile tonight doesn't fool anybody. But the man you're about to hear, he's got your name. And what he says is about to say is the best news in this bad year that you will hear. I give you the man who will change your world. Dr. Norman Vincent. Now, no matter what you might think about power of positive thinking, he, Norman Vincent Peale, couldn't fail after an introduction like that. An introduction that acknowledged the pain and struggle people were in and knowing their desire for change and that he, Dr. Norman Vincent Peale, was going to help them in that change. That was good news. So when John comes and gives this introduction of Jesus with this message of repentance and change and Jesus first, he is setting Jesus up for success. Because the focus here is not on what is wrong with the world or wrong with us. The focus is on what is right with the world, which is Jesus. Jesus, the hope of salvation. Jesus, the light of the world. Jesus, the good news in our brokenness. 
Yes, change is hard, but you can't tell me that many of us aren't ready for it and wanting change in our lives. We want change. We want change from never-ending negative headlines. We want change from mass shootings. We want change from climate concerns. We want change from drug concerns. We want change from education woes. We want change from inflation. We want change from lying. We want change from economic worry. We want change from racism, and on and on and on. But at the same time, we just tend to keep making it about ourselves and our own comforts, our own wants, and our own desires. My late father-in-law used to joke with us by saying, all right, enough about me. What do you think about me? Except for many of us, that's not a joke. We make it about us a lot, which makes change hard. We make it about us in every way, if we like the service or if it fits our schedule or if worship is when it suits us. We listen if we like it. We'll come if we like the music. We'll come if the message is shared in a tone and a manner that I like and matches my ideologies. In short, we make ourselves the anchor around which the world floats, but not odd John. The great Karl Barth, a famous theologian and academic from Switzerland who passed away in the 1960s, said that John the Baptist is the model for all preaching by pointing to Jesus and saying, Jesus becomes greater as I become smaller. Because the most difficult task for preachers, said Barth, is to not get in the way of Jesus. What we see in this encounter with John today is that John's mission and drive and happiness is not based on him. It's based on this Jesus who John recognizes as surpassing him. And so we hear in John chapter 1, verse 30, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. In our lives, when we look at Jesus, who do we see? Do we see the one who surpasses us? The one who is greater than us? Do we see the one in whom we delight? Do we delight more in him as he becomes greater so that we become less? Because church, when we do that, do you know what happens? We start to see the Spirit move in powerful, holy, and real ways. We start to see the Holy Spirit come down upon us as it did upon Jesus. Because the greater Jesus becomes, the less we become. And the more we'll see Christ and the Spirit move among us. And the greater it will be, just like it was for dear, old, odd John. As John glories in the reality of seeing Jesus up close and personal, and as John recognizes more and more of Jesus and less of himself, do you know what John experienced? He tells us, Verse 32, then John gave this testimony. I saw the spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. We too have the chance to see Jesus right before us. 
we too have a chance to experience and witness the power of the Holy Spirit as it comes down from heaven and falls upon us. We too have the opportunity to be baptized not just with water, but in the power of the Holy Spirit. How can you this week encounter Jesus in a way that it's more about him and less about us? More specifically, what's a step that you can take this week to make it more about Jesus and less about us? Is it a step of repentance? A step of sacrificial giving? Is it owning a mistake that you've been trying to blame somebody else for? Is it praying for humility? Is it simply asking for more of Jesus and less of us? Whatever it is, may we do it so that we, like John, may encounter more and more and more of Christ and less of ourselves, no matter how odd it may look to the rest of the world. By the power of the Holy Spirit, may it be so. Amen. This day, as we get ready to go forth, I invite us to go in the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, knowing that in Jesus Christ and through Jesus Christ, we can change so that it's more of Christ and less of us that we might share with the world. Go in peace and serve the Lord. Amen.